0: Welcome to episode 139 of the Human Survival Guide for Dark Sight Sessions. <laughs> I think I got that right. Maybe not. I'm hey. Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love at the nighttime sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How are you, Shane? Not bad. Not
1: too bad. I think you broke up a little bit during that intro. Um, so I'm not sure if that'll come through on the recording. But in case uh, in case it doesn't... Um, uh so do
0: you want me many redo it
1: I'll just I'll just spit it out here just uh, this, this episode is is okay. Simon's survival guide for dark site sessions so um we got an email from one of our listeners and it's a pretty good email about um you know dark sky observing with you know larger telescopes than what you and I have been talking about recently and uh just kind of you know uh, what wh- what are the essentials how do we plan how do we pack all that kind of stuff so I think uh, I think this is a pretty cool topic
0: yeah, I think it's pretty good and, and pretty fitting for me because uh, like I was saying, you know, this is the second podcast we're recording. I'm actually at my dark uh, site, my reasonably dark site, I should say. And uh, I'd come out here to do some writing and it it actually ended up clearing off and I'd forgotten my red light.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and really like, that that's enough to pretty much end a session, like, especially at a dark sky, cause, pretty much. you know, and you, you can still pan the sky and, and look at, you know, objects that you remember the location of, but if you're trying to find something new, yeah. it's pretty tough. You know, you can't read your map without destroying your night vision then. And, uh, that really ruins the whole experience.
0: And there's, and this is ground. I'm not familiar with the area yet. And um, it's very uneven. It's, it's like all these little Hills everywhere. And uh, yeah, basically, I'm at the end of a farmer's field. Really, is, is where I'm at. It's it's um, arid uh, land that can't be used for agricultural purposes. So that's that's really where, where I'm at. And because of that, yeah, it's it's rough. There's holes in cactus uh, all over. I think there's like a thousand cactus on this property. So I got gotta watch out. No, it's not sandal. It's not sandal country.
1: No, no, you don't want sandals, especially at night.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good stuff. So if I'm breaking up, that's, uh, that's what's going on here. So, uh, so Shane, um, how should we do this? We have, we have Simon's, uh, Simon's email here. Do, do we just kind of want to start reading through and then, um, it's fairly lengthy, which is great. Um, and then maybe after sort of each section or do you want to read the whole thing and then we'll just discuss it or what are your thoughts? Um,
1: yeah, why don't we uh, go kind of by section, and uh, you know, we'll we'll provide our thoughts, and then just kind of slowly make our way through this whole thing. Uh, do you want me to kick it off?
0: Yeah, please kick it off because uh, my my connection is a little bit slow.
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, hello again. This is Simon from the UK. Thanks for keeping the podcast going and helping us observers stay motivated and interested. Um, I've been listening to the recent podcasts and now that the longest day in the Northern Hemisphere has passed, the nights will be getting darker again. Yeah, exactly. Um, Due to the increase in light pollution near me, I was thinking of spending some time away from the city lights to somewhere darker, but not too far away. Um, A smaller telescope clearly helps like the recent podcast or some binos and a comfy chair. But I wondered um, if you might do some thoughts on how to get the most out of an observing session at a nearby dark site uh, with something maybe a bit bigger, like a hundred millimeter refractor or a medium Smith Cassegrain, like a, a C8, or a Celestron uh, um, eight inch. Yeah. Um, so anyways, he goes on to say, I'm thinking along these lines, uh, three trips to the car maximum, although just one would be better. Um so he's got the trips kind of broken down so trip number 1 is a mountain tripod um with wiring and everything kind of included with that. The second trip would be uh your optical tube, so your telescope with finder um and the eyepieces as well in a box. And then the third trip is a box with everything else, which is sturdy enough to act as a seat. And then he goes on to say, you know, if power is required, use a lightweight, high capacity lithium pack for the go-to and the dew heaters. Um, and, and you know, already have that attached to the tripod. So it's really not a, an additional add. So what do you think about that, Chris? How do you pack for, for our little just, you know, sessions that are maybe, you know, within, uh, say, an hour where we might go out in the early evening and, and return home the same night?
0: Yeah, I mean, actually, the, I think this is pretty close to, to what I do anyway. Um, you know, uh, I've got my tripod and mount, um, you know, scale back so that they're about as light as, as light can be. Um, and so that really can go out in, in one or, or maybe two trips at most. I, I try to be careful because one thing I notice when I'm trying, when you know, you, you can limit the trips so much. And then, you know, sometimes I'd be like trying to drag too much in one trip and you end up like banging things against doors and stuff like that. So, so really it's, it's just, um, you know, the, the weight of the gear, I think sometimes as much as it is the, the trips out the door. So, yeah, but having, uh, having, uh, a tripod and mount and then having, uh, you know, an eyepiece case and then the telescope. Um, and then usually I throw my, uh, my Atlas under my arm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. You know, I can do it. I do it in probably four or five trips maybe, but it's, uh, you know, it's pretty lightweight and easygoing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've kind of designed my eyepiece case. Um, like what, what I put in it anyway, uh, to help reduce the trips that I'm making to the vehicle. So, um, inside my eyepiece case is the obvious, you know, I've got my eyepieces, um, I've got my filters, uh, I've got, uh, you know, little cleaning things in case an eyepiece has some dust on it. Uh, my red flashlight is in there, my pen, my, uh, notepad for, um, recording my observations, um, kind of all of the miscellaneous stuff like that is all in the eyepiece case. Um, it has a, a shoulder strap, so I can put that over my shoulder and then typically the tripod, uh, and the telescope are in my hands, you know, like telescope is in its bag. It's in one hand, tripod is in the other out mm-hmm. to the car, uh, load that up yep. back indoors, grab the chair. And I have, a, uh, it, it, it's a container for my, like my, uh, Atlas and my observing lists and all of that stuff. Uh, so that comes and then, you know, bottle of water and a granola bar and, uh, away I go. So the uh the short the short trips outside of town is is pretty easy for me um yeah. i used to overdo it a little bit you know like i might bring you know a telescope and binoculars or maybe i'd bring a big telescope and a little telescope but you know the reality is with those sessions they're just not long enough to really you know warrant bringing a whole lot of gear you know and yeah. and really i probably don't even need to bring my eyepiece case for the most part because Uh, for those sessions, I'm, I'm likely just using a couple of eyepieces, you know, like a wide field one. And then I'll, I'll maybe put in my zoom eyepiece for a a wider uh, variation in my focal lengths, but really, you know, it's, it's, it's just not a super intensive session when I do those ones. Um, Now it might be a little different, I guess, if I plan to stay out the whole night, but usually on those sessions, I'm only going out until I'm I'm starting to get to that point where it's like, you know, I still have to drive and I'm getting pretty tired and I don't want to, you know, make this a yeah. dangerous return. So, you know, it's a bit of a balance with making sure yeah. you have enough energy to drive home, which is why those sessions for me anyway are not uh, super long.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit lucky cause, um, uh, like, like near my house, I can drive less than 20 minutes and be under a magnitude six sky. Um, that was a little bit by design. Like when we, we bought the house, we kind of bought it halfway between um, where we'd, we'd be working and, and like dark skies. So I'm about 15 or, you know, so minutes to work and I'm about 15 minutes to where uh, the sky starts getting uh, pretty decent. And uh, yeah, so I'll even get up uh, at night and drive out and, and kind of observe under mag six skies. So um, yeah, I kind of hear this where, yeah, sometimes I'll just like pack the car and, and leave it like, you know, in the garage and then yeah, I go out, hop in and then, and then drive out at uh, like one o'clock in the morning, sometimes do a couple hours and, and then, and then drive home. So it's uh, it's nice to, to only have to, have to go that far, but yeah, if you're going, if you're going much more than 20 minutes or so, yeah, it gets, it gets to be a bit of a drag and and definitely fatigue. Uh, definitely. You know, my opinion, I mean, once you get much beyond 20 minutes, um, that, that can definitely become a, a bit of a hazard here. So, uh, but yeah, I do like to do longer sessions um, for sure. Like if I'm going out, typically it's going to be at least two or three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I might bring in a, a little bit more in the way of gear, and I'll always bring a pair of binoculars with me, and uh, you know, now my observing chair and that sort of thing, just just to kind of have that. And often I'm taking a table too, but. You know and it all depends on where somebody lives and safety and security things and you know how comfortably are I doing this but sometimes i leave some pretty basic stuff like in my car like mm-hmm. i'll leave sometimes i leave my uh, like a my, like a chair in the car I, I, my cars all have red flashlights I don't have my car this weekend so that's why i forgot my red flashlight um and uh you know just just some stuff like that i always keep like a few things packed in there like uh you know uh some like you know uh advil actually this is one thing i keep meaning to mention or tylenol or whatever your your headache uh reduction medication of choice is um this is a a game changer one night for you anyway and that is that um, uh eventually you'll have a night where you go observing and you get out there and you set up and you get a headache that's so bad, you just tear down and drive home. And that happened to me once. And uh, it was like literally just bad enough. And we all have headaches from time to time. And it was just bad enough that, you know, you don't want to observe. And so I think that uh, in everybody's kit, they should put whatever relieves their their headache, um, and I remember talking about this with somebody and it, and it turned out I was like the only one <laughs> that in my group that didn't have that. And I certainly uh, I think on one night I borrowed some some Advil or Tylenol from somebody. And then now I always make sure I have uh, I have a few packed packed away with me when I'm when I'm going on those trips, because um, sometimes, yeah, like you can get a headache and something silly or stupid like that can can uh, uh, can end a session, you know, pretty. Quick, so um, yeah, I think I think you know um, I think it's good to try to limit the trips, you know, and and I was actually thinking when I when I first read this bit by Simon, I was thinking about our trips down in, into the grasslands actually a little bit more so than maybe what he was he was talking about. I don't know what your thoughts were on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I think we can split this up into sort of two parts. Like one is just the evening trip, and then one is maybe a weekend trip or something like that. Um, and I think we've, I think a previous podcast, we talked a little bit about the weekend trip, but you know, you and I are planning one here real soon. So it's probably a good time to revisit it. Um, you know, but maybe before we get into that, just what you mentioned here about, you know, the Advil or the Tylenol, um, it's a good segue into the next paragraph in Simon's email. And, uh, yeah, one of his, yeah, one of his three trips was a box with everything else. And then he goes on to say, you know, box, the box has the Atlas, the observing plan snacks, uh, water, coffee, uh, cell phone, uh, a compass. You know, a compass is important if you are doing uh, uh, like a go-to mount or you need to know north. You know, I guess a compass can help you out a little bit with that. Um, but what's interesting here? Some other things that is is probably important that I actually include in some of my packing. So one he says here is a small tool kit, and um, I think it's important to know sort of some of the components on your telescope. Like if you need Allen wrenches to tighten something up, um, if you need special tools for collimation, um, cause you know, when you're, when you're bouncing your gear down some back roads or, or, you know, maybe it's smooth pavement all the way to your site. Maybe it isn't, um, some things can rattle loose and, you know, it's happened to me where I've shown up on, on my observing location. Well, I think I told the story about our, our Saskatchewan summer star party when I showed up and my light bridge had basically rattled apart <laughs> and it wasn't usable. Um, yeah. so, you know, it's, it's probably good to take, uh, you know, a pair of pliers, a screwdriver or, you know, and some Allen wrenches, cause those are sort of the common things that probably apply to all telescopes. Um, but some things we didn't talk about either, which, you know, I, I do sometimes factor in, but like gloves and a hat, you know, because it can get cold out there. And uh, even if it's warm during the day, if you're sitting in a chair and it gets down to single digits in the evening, like c- Celsius, um, that still gives, you know is pretty chilly and you're going to want to dress warm. Um, what else does he have here? Charcoal fo- foot warmers. I, I usually do have a couple of those types of like glove or hand warmers in my kit. Uh, just in case I want a little extra, yeah. you know, comfort. Um, and then, you know, for you and I, and, and many others, there's, you know, sometimes a mosquito consideration. Now, whether you want to bring spray, which we're not huge fans of, but maybe, you know, some, you know, long sleeve shirts or things like that, just to keep the mosquitoes off of you is, is sometimes important too.
0: Yeah, you know some of the stuff, you know, and I, I think three trips might be a bit tough, but because um, at least here anyway, we kind of have to plan a little bit, kind of have to reach a little bit. Um, you'll recall I, I, we even, re- we even talked about it back uh, in May or, or sometime uh, a few months ago. I Maybe mean, it was April. And I was I was out scouting some sites, and then I went out to observe at at a site, and uh, it had been pretty warm, like it was like twenty five or so degrees here in uh, in the city, and then I went out to uh, to this site, and it was like zero or minus three. Um, it was it was this huge temperature difference. It was supposed to go to twelve degrees um that evening but it but it had gone about uh you know 12 or 15 degrees cooler than than forecast um i know that doesn't happen in in most places having observed in a lot of different places but uh but we're we're faced with that here i wasn't really quite dressed for it so i just again got out and did some binocular observing and then uh just just didn't stay too long because it was also a little bit of a a shock to the system yeah, and having lots of water, I think that's there's there's a few things that I've really learned about about going and and observing. I, I've learned some things from you. I've learned some things from my my past observing friends. But um, you always have you're the water guy. You know, you always have extra <laughs> water. I think I think I've I've borrowed and stolen more water from you than a camel. Just about you know. I mean, man you're always good to have an extra few bottles of water around. And but that's one thing I always learned. Like I never used to take, uh, to consider water like an essential um, item to, to take observing, but, uh, but it certainly is, um, you know, along, along with some of, this, some of this other stuff. And I also think um, that's sort of the one thing from you. My, my friend Graham uh, taught me about uh, always bringing a pair of lined pants, whether they're like a lined jean or a lined... Uh, not just windbreaker but a lined windbreaker with like a fleece lining and that sort of thing because um, those can really extend a session had actually forgotten um i was going observing with mike and it was going to be a really warm evening and i'd forgotten a coat and i had uh, i think i even had like gloves and a hat and a sweater um, but i had thrown my lined pants in the car and uh, so I was able to to get most of a session in, and then finally mentioned it to Mike, and he actually had brought an extra coat. So so it, it's one of those things where when we all throw um, like an extra whatever in in the vehicle with us, um, sometimes it's not you that ends up using it; it's it's your you know your observing friend or, or somebody else, you know, uh, we've certainly had lots of newcomers, uh, come and observe with us and that's always great. Um, and often they're the recipients of whatever extra gear we have. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what about, um, the, the dark sky trips where we're gone for multiple days, Chris, does that change your packing? And if so, what, what is different?
0: yeah it really like you really have to focus. so where we go, there's nothing. So whatever you take with you is pretty much what you're gonna survive on for however long you're going for. And I mean, we typically do two to three day trips. Um, so you've got to bring all of your water for that period of time. Um, I think I think the recommendation is like three or four liters a day. Um, I can it's hard to imagine, but I can easily double that. Um, I can easily drink eight liters of water a day when we're out uh, doing that kind of activity. So uh, yeah, I used him trying to bring somewhere close to uh, 12 to 18 liters of water with me. Um, it seems like you can never have enough. Like it's weird because you sit around home and even, even at home, I'll drink some water, but I probably wouldn't drink more than a couple liters of water a day, maybe maybe three at most. But when we're dark sky observing, it's easily it it can be eight or nine liters of water a day even. So let's see what else. Um, Yeah. And the camping gear, that was that was the other thing you and I. And we haven't talked about that that much. But I think there was a period of time, Shane, where we talked more about our camping gear and how to optimize that than about telescope gear, probably for a few years there.
1: Oh, for sure. Like the, uh, the camping gear for, for me anyway, was going to almost end some of those trips because it was not sleeping well in the tent. And you know, when you're, when you're staying up late and waking up early because of the sun, uh, you have to maximize your, your rest time that you have, uh, that you have in the night. And I, I just wasn't sleeping well, I wasn't eating well, and it made the trips not very good. Um, so yeah, we spent a lot of time and, and like, like time in terms of years, you know, just sort of refining some of that too, to make sure that these trips were as enjoyable as possible. And and it really made a big difference. And, and, you know, I think the focus for me anyway, was a good tent, a good sleeping mattress or or pad and, and the right sleeping bag. And it, you know, I didn't get those right. The first time it took me a couple of cracks to to do that properly where I was comfortable.
0: Yeah. And, and that's been huge for me as well. Just optimizing that, uh, that sleep system mm-hmm. really, because, you know, I used to spend, oh, I don't know, it must've been four or five hours packing anyway. And so, so I didn't really have like, like a system. Right. And you really need to think about it like a sleep system. Mm-hmm. And, uh, through our conversations that I began to think that way and by not having a sleep system, well, first of all, nothing is working in conjunction with, with each other. And so it's not going to work as well. And then the second thing is you're always just grabbing stuff and you're, you're taking too much stuff with you. And so your, your pack, your uh, pack time and your breakdown time are, are much longer than they should be. And then, um, just the usability of it. So one, one thing I used to use is like an inflatable air mattress. And now you really, really disliked, I would say even hated air mattresses, yep. but yep. I, like personally, I actually like them. I find them uh, pretty comfortable. It doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. But um, when you switched over to, to some of the mats that you were using, well, even though I was fine and comfortable on mine, one thing that was happening is they seemed to be uh, a magnet for any moisture that's in the tent. And so they would be covered in moisture. So I'd be like trying to dry those out. So you'd be halfway home before I, I was even dry enough to, uh, to start packing up. And the same with the tent. I was just using like a standard, what I consider to be standard camping um, tents and, and they would get they would get too uh, moisture ridden either with dew or just my own condensation from from sleeping at night and then I was purchasing tents that were made for they were like more general tents made for you know anybody to go and buy and use in a variety of different environments but our environment here is very specific it's a it's a very cool Cold environment at night, and it's a very hot and dry environment during the day. At night, you can have some moisture, but typically, you want to have a semi-permeable tent that is able to vent that moisture through it. We, if we get rain, the rain comes in these horrendous thunderstorms anyway. So, I mean, chances are most tents are going to leak in that situation. Um, but I do have a tent now that uh, that's more like a bomb shelter than a tent. And the other thing is, is that my tent is very small. You know. And we, we've kind of, you know, typically you see people get larger and larger tents maybe. And, and we've kind of scaled it down to tents that are like one or one and a half person uh, tents um, because they're small, lightweight, portable, and they withstand the high winds and the horrendous storms that uh, that we can get here. But they're easy to pack and then they dry super fast. They're made to withstand uh, a good beating in bad weather and then you can dry them out and you're good to go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Makes a big difference. Um, and wholeheartedly agree, you know, that whole camping system, um, is important, um, on the astronomical side for these trips, it doesn't really change a lot for me. You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm maybe taking a larger telescope, uh, for sure. I am for the most part. Um, the, the big difference for me though, is that I will, um, Sometimes take additional telescopes because we're there all day. I'll take some solar observing stuff, whether it's oh, a white, yeah. you know, a white light filter or the hydrogen yeah. alpha telescope. It you know, just gives you something else to do while you're sitting around. And um, you know, now that we have these little these little Borg telescopes, Chris, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. going to double mount them. Like I, I have a dual mount, you know, like where I can put yeah. two telescopes on my alt-as mount. So the big one will go on there. And then on the other side, my plan is to have the little Borg for some super wide field stuff and, and sort of act as a little yeah. bit of a finder on there. But, um, yeah. you know, I think it'll be kind of neat to actually have those two telescopes operating at the same time, you know, 120 millimeter and then a, like a 50 millimeter refractor will be pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. And before I, I forgot to say this, as part of my sleep system. So Shane, do you want to talk about them? Like, and, and this might seem a little bit ridiculous to spend so much time talking about the camping gear, but, um, but I actually think it is really important, but you, you turned me on to these, um, what do they call Is it a mega mat? Is that what we're using for these sleep? Cause you bought oh, one and then mine, yeah. and then yeah. I set up a cactus with my air mattress and then I had to buy one too.
1: Yeah. So the company is called Exped, E-X-T-E-D. And the mat that we have, I think is the mega mat duo or something like that. And, um, it's, um, what, what's unique about it. Um, so as you mentioned, Chris, I don't like air mattresses. And the reason for that is, um, at least the cheaper ones, I'm sure maybe like the better ones would be more comfortable, but, Um, I'm a side sleeper and the way they have these, um, like a lot of the, I don't know, kind of the, the typical air mattresses that you buy in the big box stores. Um, they have these rifflets that are like, um, the length of the air mattress. And if you're a side sleeper, at least for me, it put a lot of pressure, um, on the points of my body where they were making kind of the contacts, like my shoulders, my hips. Uh, I, like I would be able to sleep for no more than an hour And, you know, the, the shoulders and hips would be in a lot of pain. I'd have to rotate over and then I would get at most an hour on that side of my body. And then I'd have to flip over. It was almost, you know, like you're cooking meat over a grill or something like that. (laughs) But, um, so this would happen all night and, and, you know, resulted in a poor sleep. So, Uh, The research that I did talked about these X-Pad mats as being the solution. And they they have some similarities to air mattresses. Like, you know, you can, they do have air in them. Like, they take air in, they're self-inflating. But what's unique about them is they have foam in them as well. So they they have a little more firmness or density to them. And for side sleepers, there's just not as much pressure added, uh, you know, to your shoulders and hips. And I, you know, I have to say I, I was somewhat skeptical, uh, maybe fairly skeptical that this would solve my problems. Um, but lo and behold, it did, uh, it really made the world of difference for me in terms of comfort. Um, and then the other thing that these provide is, uh, I think, um, don't quote me on this, but I think the R value, so like the insulating factor, you know, how well does it keep the cold away from you? Because, you know, you're still on cold ground and at night that cold will come through an air mattress yeah. and, uh, we'll, we'll make it a little chillier. Um, these X-pads I think have the highest R value, or if it's not the highest, it's, it's like, you know, right up there. And, uh, it makes it a lot warmer or, or more comfortable again, you know, um, so that your, your, your temperature on top of that thing is consistent. Whereas sometimes like on an air mattress, the part touching the mattress is cold, but then you know, the, the part of your body that's away from the air mattress might be too warm, you know, and it's, it's uh, it was a hard balance. So anyway, yeah, that mattress was a game changer. It, you know, you pay for it. it it's not insignificant, especially um, when you compare the cost of a, again, just a, an air mattress at a big box store, but um, I have zero regrets. And if that air mattress ever got wrecked or, 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 or you know, lost or whatever, I'd replace it without thinking twice
0: yeah and and you know you you bought it and you said oh you really should get one of these and i was like reasonably comfortable but um so my comfort level was fine but uh my issue was that i i get cold when i sleep and we're going to bed and sometimes you know i mean we've gone observing to minus four or minus five and uh, crawled in you know i've crawled in my tent when i'm looking at the temperature um you know several digits below zero uh, celsius And uh, and I just found the the air mattress to be absolutely brutal in those conditions because it just is like taking any extra heat out of you and uh, and and putting it out into the outside air. And then um, when that air mattress went, I I really hemmed and hawed and thought, well, Shane says this one's really good and he's pretty picky about his sleeping. Um, So I bought one and I could not believe how comfortable it was like some people in the reviews say it's more comfortable than their bed at home. And uh, yeah, I would say it's, it's um, one of the most comfortable things I've ever slept on air mattress, regular bed, it, you throw everything in there. It's one of the most comfortable things like you do pay for it. But you know, one of the things to think about in relation and, and that you and I talked about um, between us, but not on, on the podcast is, is that uh, we uh, we're not going and staying in a hotel, right? Like this is, this is where you're spending the money. You know, sometimes you know, we're going and just camping on land somewhere. So we're not even paying for, for a campsite or something like that. We're just throwing up a tent for, for 10 or 12 hours or something like that. And then, you know uh, you know, this, this is a good place to put, to put some money. And that was a few years ago now. And mine's still just like new.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's held up really well. And um, yeah, like I mentioned too, like for me, it, it, it seriously was coming down to the point where I was no longer going to make those trips because I was, I was just a mess, you know, by the end of them. And and even like the first night of astronomy was okay, but you know, it, I, I would start to think about, I'm going to have a bad sleep. So I was ending the sessions early. And then the second night I was just, you know, super tired because the previous night I didn't get a good sleep. And And, um, I, I know we probably harp, or it seems like maybe we harp on this too much about, you know, the, the value of a good sleep on these trips, but, um, it, it's really important for me. And that's why I think we talk about it a lot because it's important for you too. And, and it, it really makes a difference.
0: And the other thing I got to mention, so it was, was not only mattress, but I bought, um, what's called a camping quilt. I moved away from a sleeping bag. I really Mm -hmm. don't like sleeping bags at all. Uh, I never did. I just, you know, I thought this was part and parcel of camping and I I found that a lot of people had moved to these camping quilts, especially people um, like myself who who tend to get cold at night and also don't like sleeping bags. So the problem with a sleeping bag for me is that I find it kind of constrictive and I, I think I really move around a lot when I sleep or something and I don't like it. Like I would just wake up kind of pushed all against my sleeping bag in weird directions or I would actually in my sleep like unzip the sleeping bag and pretty much get out of it, um, which which would end up getting pretty cold. Um, so I bought one of these camping quilts, mine's by a company named Bandit Quilts and uh, it actually wasn't any more expensive than a, than a high quality sleeping bag, but they custom make it, you send them like your, your sizing and they custom make it for you and it has uh, uh, some sort of uh, proprietary material in it and it, it looks like it's nylon, but it feels like fleece. It's really strange because you look at it, and you think it's going to feel like nylon, but it doesn't. It actually feels like this super soft material. It's it's really strange. You look at it and then you feel it. It doesn't feel at all like what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have one that's good down to, I think it's like negative 12 or negative 14 uh, Celsius. Um, I didn't want to go any colder because uh, I thought it might be too warm in, in the summer, but I've I found uh, between the mat and the bag, yeah, it's that's been a good combination. Anyway, um, should uh, should chat a little bit more about astronomy stuff, I guess. But I think the camping is very important.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. And and, and like I said, too, like really for, um, for my astronomy stuff, it doesn't change that much. Yeah. Um, from a, a normal trip of, you know, just out, uh, out like an hour outside of town. Um, you know, my dark sky, my, my dark sky, uh, gear is basically the same, except maybe I'll bring, uh, you know, an extra telescope or two, um, just cause you're, you're there that much longer and, and you're going to use it probably.
0: Yeah. The thing that I'll bring more of, I, you know, I often use filters. Um, I don't use filters as much, like just around house, or even if I go up for an hour, I might use a filter. Um, but when we go to dark sky sites, like I bring all my filters and I, because we have longer sessions, it's a little bit easier. I end up using them more.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, you, I, I feel like when you're on those trips, you don't want to be without, or you don't want to regret leaving something at home because you know, you make such an effort to get out to those uh, dark skies and the dark skies are so amazing to observe under you want it to be the best session possible. So, you know, in that regard, you, you bring the gear.
0: Yeah. One thing I will say, um, sort of combining the, both the camping and the, and the astronomy, one thing that, that you can find is, uh, is that campsite sometimes, um, your camping location, isn't uh as cracked up as as you want it to be for uh for doing astronomy so one thing to do is try to plan ahead a little bit either you sometimes you can even go on google uh, maps or whatever and then actually go through the campsites to see which which one would work best Um, and or sometimes you can call like uh whether it's a national park or Provincial Park or something, and either a see if there's sites that would work best for this because sometimes they actually have dark sky campgrounds. Like I know at the Cypress Hills uh, Interprovincial Park here in Saskatchewan, they have a dark site campground. Um, I, I don't want to say anything else, but I know some other some other places are working on dark site uh, campgrounds. I think that's that's really cool. I know that uh, that that's an idea that's taking off. Like we were talking before about astronomy becoming. Um, more of a, of an interest after you know during the pandemic and hopefully retaining after the pandemic. So uh, I've heard from some parks that are actually considering um, creating that that option for people. Um, and then uh, as well, sometimes you can contact the park um, or wherever it is you're going to to find out about local sites. And then additionally, sometimes like you might I know um, like I, I do some other volunteer work for for another agency. And uh, sometimes you can just get permission um, to actually use some of their land for, for like one night session, like go out and camp and, and do some observing. And, uh, you know, like, as you know, Shane, like uh, we've, we've got some permission um, to do that, which is, which is super cool. So sometimes it, it's also something to think about. Like you can kind of think outside the box a little bit for, for maybe what you can do for, for an observing session. So instead of just doing a run out for an hour or so, um, there might be an organization that you've had contact with, where you can actually, um, you know, uh, figure out a spot, like they might have a good spot for you to go and camp. And even like, I have neighbors now that, that have land in places that uh, that have offered me uh, sites to go and, and do this on. I think, I think in general, people think it's really cool and uh, land that otherwise doesn't get used sometimes at the edge of farmer's fields or or what have you can be can be really awesome for, for doing astronomy. And I think sometimes people are just really excited to hear that, uh, that you can make use of this and, uh, and we'll give you permission to, to go and use those lands.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great tip.
0: Okay. Sort of our camping episode almost more than anything.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay. Well, do you have any, I don't, I'm, I'm all camped out here. So, uh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to shove off and, and go and live in, in the fields for a few days. So, uh, I don't know if you have anything else to add, Shane, but uh, I think I've I've said my bit.
1: Yeah, that's all I have too. So thanks, Chris, and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you everyone for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.